0: Hello and welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology podcast, where each week, Pastor Jeff Cranston explores biblical theology that provides practical life applications in an understandable way. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm your host, Tiffany Coker. Along
1: with my dad, Pastor Jeff Cranston, we are seeking not only to help you know deep, solid biblical theology— but to know the Word of God and the promises of God that are given to us in His Word, all while holding to solid theological truths in our heart, soul, and mind. On today's podcast, we're continuing with our brief overview of the Old Testament book known to us as Joshua. Beginning back in episode 143, we have discussed and studied 12 Old Testament and New Testament books already with their theological themes. So if you've missed any, I encourage you to go back and give them a listen, but we're going to dive into Joshua today. So Dad, how are you doing?
2: Yep, the uh, the voice is coming back, slowly but surely, and uh, I received something really nice in the mail this week from one of our Kitchen Table Theology family. It was a pound of Southern Pecan coffee <laughs> and a coffee mug, they live in Illinois, the coffee came from Texas, all kinds of stuff's happening. So if you're listening, you know who you are. Thank you so very much. Can't wait to start drinking that coffee. going to be tomorrow morning. I've already decided I'm, <laughs> I'm brewing it up tomorrow morning.
1: Wish I was well, there to have some.
2: Yeah, so that, that was awesome. So anyway, hello again, Kitchen Table Theologians, and I'm looking forward to jumping into this book of Joshua. It's a pretty exciting book, fast-paced book, And it's filled with stories of war and conquest and battles of leadership. And then it all culminates in Israel's uh, journey into the promised land and how they fare once they make it into the promised land.
1: I think so many of our children's Bible stories that we share with our kids come from the book of Joshua, but Joshua is not a simple work. Theologians say things like this, and I'm going to quote here, Joshua presents as complex a literary problem as any book in the Bible, end quote. Other theologians say that the book is puzzling and even enigmatic. It demands the finest skills of interpretation the reader can bring to the text. So that's what theologians are saying. I feel like I might should be a little bit frightened to approach (laughs) the book of Joshua If theologians talk like that, is there hope for the rest of us here?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Reading some of the more contemporary theologians and their thoughts on this book, it feels like you almost should don a suit of armor as you begin to read the book of Joshua. But it's no more difficult to understand than any other book for normal people. If you are the person that uh, gets deep into the Hebrew and into the context of all that Deuteronomic literature, and they use big words like Deuteronomic and so forth. (laughs) Yeah, it is pretty demanding to study, but it's God's Word. It's here for us. We can understand it because the Holy Spirit helps us to do that. And I think, kitchen table theologian, it's helpful. Maybe if you think of Joshua's book as a bridge, and it's a bridge between the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, and the total of the literature that begins with Deuteronomy and extends through Second Kings. So you've got Deuteronomy and then Joshua, and think of that as a bridge into Judges, Ruth, and then First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. The book of Joshua follows Deuteronomy in the Bible, but it and the reason it does is it quite naturally continues in story form or narrative form, the essential theology of the book of Deuteronomy. Some some people see Joshua, you could even say maybe as a sequel to Deuteronomy, and it would constitute the first volume, then Joshua would, of Israel's history in Canaan. Canaan was the promised land.
1: So when you describe it that way, it reminds me of the book that we looked at in our last podcast, The Acts of the Apostles. We said that was a link, that was a sequel maybe to the book of Luke. That book of Acts served as a link between the gospels and the epistles. Let me clarify that. It gives the 30-year history of the early church. So maybe in the Old Testament, Joshua is serving a similar role. Is that fair to compare those like that?
2: Yeah, I think so, in a generic sense, yes. The book of Joshua is a bridge connecting you could connecting a number of things, connecting promise to fulfillment. The promised land has was always promised, and then in Joshua, you see that promise fulfilled. So I suppose we could start saying the promised land, and then after they moved in, we could call it the fulfilled land, but I don't know that I'll start that movement because I don't think anybody would get on board with that. You've got the bridge of of Moses bridging to the next leader of Israel. Joshua's book serves as the bridge from the Pentateuch, those first five books, to the prophets. Inside the book of Joshua, manna to no manna. There's a bridge there. And then you've got the exodus of Israel to the exile. So Joshua, I, I failed to write down who I read on this. And I apologize, but I love the terminology. They said Joshua is a threshold book, a threshold book. So it carries us from one significant chapter of Israel's history to another significant chapter. So the crossing of the Jordan is not only literal in the book, but it reminds us that Joshua as a book is a crossing over work as well.
1: That is really very interesting. And I feel like we did a really deep dive there without first giving the overview of the book. So let's back up a second. Yeah, I'm going to say, let's start with who wrote the book of Joshua. And as it makes sense to me, the book is titled Joshua. I'm going to guess that Joshua was the author. Is that accurate?
2: I want to say this from the beginning so I don't forget it because it doesn't really fit in anywhere else that I plan to talk about today, but it's so important. And I just want you to know, Kitchen Table Theologian, if you don't know or maybe remind you, the name Joshua means Yahweh saves, which is an appropriate name for the man who led Israel under God's sovereign direction, sovereign command, sovereign plan to this victorious conquest of the promised land. So I think it's important. To keep that in mind, Jehovah, or Yahweh, I should say, Yahweh, saves. That's the name Joshua. Very similar to name to Jesus' name, by the way. Bible, okay, to to who wrote it? Bible scholars generally believe that Joshua himself wrote it, or a scribe who was under his authority uh, wrote it. And they believe Joshua wrote most of the book. So Joshua being the main author, we can draw that conclusion because in the early chapters of the book, we read some firsthand experiences from Joshua. The words we and us are used. Uh, Military details are given, which would likely only be known by a military leader or a general like Joshua. Joshua 24, 26 says Joshua is responsible for at least a portion of the book Himself. Now, what do you mean by portion? So scholars believe that after Joshua died, one or possibly two high priests, one named Eleazar, the other named Phinehas or phineas they may have supplemented some material in the book because there are sections of the book that allude to events that occurred after the conquest of the promised land, after Joshua Passed away, but we're on the safe ground to say Joshua was the primary author.
1: Okay. We normally, I think all of us have a tendency to look at each book of the Bible as separate, as its own book. But it's clearly obvious in just our conversation so far that Joshua is a part of what has come before it and what has come after it. So maybe you can help give us a little bit more context here. Where are we? as we read the book of Joshua in the general scheme, overall history of God's working in and through his people of the nation of Israel?
2: That's a great question. The events we read of in the book of Joshua span about 25 years. And again, I don't know about everybody else, but growing up and reading this book, it just seems it spanned hundreds of years. Right. But but it's like the book of Acts. I think we determined last week that spanned about 30 years. Yeah. Joshua spans about 25 years. So the events in the book start soon after the death of Moses, which we know was around 1406 B.C., before the conquest of the promised land began. And that conquest, we know, took about seven years. And we also read about Joshua's final address to Israel. And then his death came about 20 years later. The book begins with the nation of Israel. And they're st- not quite literally, but you get the picture. They're standing on the banks of the Jordan River with their toes in the water, staring across at <laughs> the Jericho. They're ready to go. And then the book goes on to record details of numerous military campaigns of Israel defeating the inhabitants of the promised land. And that promised land is referred to as Canaan. And, and then the book ends with Joshua regathering the nation for this final exhortation to them before he dies. Date-wise, that puts the writing of the book between somewhere around 1400 to 1370 B.C. So there's, there's a lot of margin there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think perhaps that it was written as to why it's written, because these newly victorious Israelites, and that. When he gives his final address to them, they have won. They are in. They're now living there. So they're these newly victorious Israelites. And although they were established as conquerors of what they knew was the promised land, Joshua felt this need to remind them that their conquest wasn't yet finished. And that, according to James 13, 1, I think it's verse 1, says this, there remains very much land yet to be possessed. So I think one of the reasons that he wrote it when he wrote it was this idea of, look, guys, we've done great so far. God has really helped us. God's done it, but we're not finished yet. That was very important for Joshua to communicate to them.
1: All right. So with all of that established, which I think that does help clear it up, give us a good picture of where we are in this book. How about you walk us through a few of the theological themes that we find in the book of Joshua? Again, I'm sure there could be tons, but maybe just give us a few.
2: Yeah, there are a lot of themes in this book, but like most of our podcasts, we'll scratch the surface a bit here, maybe just reveal a few things. And Kitchen Table Theologian, if you just love the book of Joshua and you dig deeper or you want to dig deeper, we want to encourage you to do that. So roll up your theological sleeves and jump in and open your study Bibles and start finding some good commentaries online about Joshua and dive in. It's a phenomenal book. All right, so let's take a look at a few theological themes, and these are in no particular order. And maybe we'll just start with this one. One, one theological theme we see, God's sovereignty over the elements and the natural world. We see that. So we're reminded theologically of God being creator and sustainer of the universe, but we see His sovereignty over the elements and the natural world. And we see this in God stopping the Jordan River to allow Israel to cross on dry land. So major move of God's sovereignty there.
1: Another one that comes to mind, I think it's in Joshua, so hopefully it is. Where the sun and the moon stand still during one of the battles. I feel like that's pretty major if you can stop the sun and the moon.
2: <laughs> yeah, we that's in Joshua chapter 10. And there is this spectacular miracle when God delivers his people from hostile kings. And I just pulled a section out of chapter 10. It says, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. Then he said, in the sight of Israel, yeah, Joshua, sun stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Agilom. And then we read this, the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. And then it continues, the sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua said, sun stand still, moon stand still. God listened to that, and God did that. And kitchen table theologian, if you want to have some fun and just have your mind blown, do a deep dive on if scientists and cosmologists believe that in, in our human history, we somehow lost a day or lost <laughs> time because of this event. It's very fascinating what you will discover.
1: That's amazing. And I bet very interesting to read into that a little bit. So we see God's sovereignty over the elements and the natural world as one theological theme we you said we see him as creator sustainer sovereign over creation what else
2: yeah all throughout the book you see his power and authority that's another theme power and authority and in chapter 19 god says all the earth is mine and that covers it all all the earth yeah. is mine and and god proves this by vanquishing every king every army who opposed him and when when kings and armies oppose israel They were opposing God, and every Canaanite king opposed him. And just a reminder, Joshua, again, is about the Israelites moving into Canaan, the promised land, and then once they got there, it wasn't like the gates threw open. There were people already living there, large people groups, powerful kingdoms, and Israel had to fight and defeat those various people groups that were already there. But God said, everything, all the earth is mine. And he proved it by giving the land to the Israelites.
1: And that reminds us of Psalm 2, where we read this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us.
2: Yeah. And that. That psalm goes on to talk about how kingdoms and kings rise up against Israel, rise up against God, and it's just completely futile. And God says, I'm going to come against them and I'm going to do away with them and so forth, which is exactly what happens. So let's keep going. The next two themes, I think, go hand in hand. One is we find God requiring his people to be sanctified at the river as they enter the promised land because his presence there makes it holy. So as they're getting ready to cross in the promised land, hold up everybody, time out. We have to go through this process of being holy, of being sanctified, or that word sanctified means to be set apart because we're going where the presence of God is. So that's a pretty cool thing. And then you juxtapose that In the book of Joshua, there's a time where God requires his people's purification because he had judged or determined that they had polluted sacred things in an act of disobedience in chapter 7. So I think we can rightly assume we see as a theological theme the holiness of God throughout the book of Joshua.
1: Okay, so we have God's sovereignty over nature, His power and His authority, and also His holiness, the need for God's people to be sanctified and purified. All right, give us a couple more.
2: Just a couple more, but just a sentence or two on each one. In in gifting Israel with the promised land, this good land, God graciously provided also for their needs. So we see the provisionary acts of God, which makes up part of God's character. I'll give you an example. In chapter five, we read this, the day after the Passover, and by the way, Israel maintained celebrating or observing the Passover every year, no matter if they were in the desert or not. So they did. And then the day after the Passover, on that very day, here's what we read. They ate of the produce of the land unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And near the end of the book, God summed it up for Israel when he said this. This is in chapter 24. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. And and so you see this gracious provision of God for his people throughout. And lastly, it's a record that, that God keeps his promises. He graciously provides, and we see him keeping his promises. So Tiff, if you'll read from chapter 21, the 43rd through the 45th verses. So kitchen table theologian, give a listen as Tiff reads this, for they kept promises of God.
1: Sure. Okay, here we go. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their father's. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass.
2: Isn't that incredible? Just time and again, here's what he said he'd do, he did it. Here's what he said would happen, it happened. It's just incredible. So we see here, theologically, God, faithful to his word, always keeps his promises to his people. So therefore, he can be trusted to do what he says he will, in fact, do.
1: I love that. That is so incredible and so encouraging for all of us today that we can look back at that and see how God has faithful has been faithful to his people in the past and that we can trust him that he will do that for us as well, which sort of leads me into another question I'm going to ask today, veering off of the themes just a little bit. But I want to ask you, how can we, all our whole kitchen table theologians, all of us, how do we seek? to apply what we have learned from the book of Joshua to our lives today. because It's always amazing to me that something written thousands of years ago can still impact our lives in 2023. So how do you see that happening? How can we apply this to our lives?
2: Yeah, that's a great thought because we just can't get all this in our heads. It also has to get into our hearts, doesn't it? So This may be a weird way to answer, but I think I'll just stay with that last theme of God keeping his promises for us in our life application. The last few verses of Joshua narrate three burials of all things, three burials. So you have the burial of Joshua. You have the burial of the bones of Joseph, (laughs) which they had been carrying with them since they left Egypt. So poor Joseph had never been buried. (laughs) So they carried Joseph's bones into the promised land and buried him there. So that's the second burial. And then the third burial was the high priest Eleazar. And and strange as it might seem, those burials proclaim God's character. All three, Joshua, Joseph, Eleazar, were associated with Israel's days in captivity. Now, Joseph was long, long ago when Jacob's family first settled in Egypt, and Joshua and Eleazar, as young men, they were on that long journey through the wilderness. But now all three lay at rest in the land of promise as witnesses to God's faithfulness. And I would just remind us, and I think we can walk in this in our lives, that God is the ultimate promise keeper. As faithful and as present as he was with Israel, so he is with us. Now, that's something we can really sink our teeth into, I think, and hold on to. Mm -hmm. Just as you saw his faithfulness throughout all the history of Israel, he's that faithful to you. And I'll just leave you a kitchen table theologian with this verse today, Joshua 1, 9, great verse out of the Bible. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go.
1: That's awesome. Thank you so much for listening to the Kitchen Table Theology podcast with Pastor Jeff Greenston. I'm going to remind you this week, we would love for you to leave a rating or a review on iTunes. And if you do leave a review and then send me an email with your address, we will mail you some Southern Pecan coffee and a Kitchen Table Theology coffee mug. So Pastor Jeff at lowcountrycc.org, email us, let us know that you left that review and we will get that in the mail to you. And we really do just appreciate any help you can give us in getting the word out. And that is really what helps other people hear about Kitchen Table Theology and get the word out there. As always, thanks are due to our friends at Low Country Community Church here in Bluffton, South Carolina, and also at Streamline Podcasts for making this podcast possible. Join us next week. We'll be back with another episode, Lord willing. And I think we're headed back to the New Testament for the overview of the Book of Romans.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This is the year for Romans.
1: Romans, yes, you're ready. I can't wait to see how you get a year worth of sermons into one podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, That's
2: definitely not going to happen. But I also <laughs> want to just remind you, Kitchen Table Theologian, you can leave a review and a rating anywhere you're listening to the podcast from. I think our numbers tell us the vast majority of us listen on, through Apple, but there's a number that listen in other ways too. So wherever you're listening from, whatever platform, you can leave a rating or review. And we really appreciate you doing that.
1: We do. Until next time, always remember that the real power of theology is not only knowing it, but applying it. Thanks for
0: joining us at the table. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, please check out our show notes. If you have a question from today's podcast, kindly email us at Jeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.